Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to the Bunker Daily. I am your host, Alex Andreu. I am super optimistic about the metaverse because I know how the human mind works. And I am telling you this now with confidence that after five to seven years, most of the population of this world will live in the metaverse world. So said tech entrepreneur Anuj Jassani in 2019. What followed, like a cosmic reminder, was a pandemic which forced millions of us into physical isolation, into virtual meetings and Zoom funerals, and by all metrics, an explosion of mental health and wellness, as if to underline that the limitless freedom technology provides can also be a virtual prison. My guest today is Head of Psychology Online at the University of Wolverhampton. She has over 20 years experience in the field of cyber psychology, helping to write the Oxford Handbook on the subject. She's the author of The Manipulation of Online Self-Presentation, and she's here to help us navigate this emergently vital science, the psychology of virtual worlds. Welcome to the bunker, Dr. Alison Attrill-Smith. Hi, Alex. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for being here. Alison, when did the field of psychology start to take notice of the way tech affects our mental well-being? I would say it was around the early 2000s when computers started being more in the home. Mm. Education was starting to incorporate more and more digital tech. Libraries were starting to be digitized. And we saw the emergence of the iPad. So with iTechnology being more and more available to everyone, especially younger children, we started to notice that more and more people are living a digital life. And by around 2006 to 2008, social media had exploded Mm. worldwide and people were starting to incorporate digital behavior into everything, socializing, banking, online shopping. And that's when we started to really see this escalated online behavior and it to start to encroach on offline behavior as well. Virtual reality has had many failed iterations over the years. What keeps drawing our inventiveness and our endeavor back to cyberspace, do you think? 
That's a really good question. So we know that we've had iterations such as Second Life, and indeed the first teaching in cyber psychology took place in Second Life. But every time something kind of establishes itself, something new comes along, a new technology, virtual reality has exploded, you know, so the metaverse is the next big thing. And Mm. every time that something like that comes along, human beings are curious creatures. They want to be a part of the next big thing. They don't want to be the person left behind. So Mm. everyone migrates and then the last thing kind of dies off a little bit. So, so it's almost like a, a sort of another continent appearing on the other side of the ocean, and our natural instinct is to want to see what's there. Yeah, that's a really good way of explaining it. Yeah, absolutely. How might someone's psychology affect the way they present themselves in the metaverse? Oh, now, as you noted, we have written a lot about this. Um, a lot, yes. I, I read some of it. It's wonderful. We could be here for hours. The first thing is, who is more likely to even want to go online? There is a huge misconception that iterations such as the metaverse are targeted at a younger population or a subset population such as gamers. How people go online, what they do online, who even starts that online journey will depend entirely on what they want to achieve. Mm. Well, I might go online because I'm short on time and I want to do some shopping, so that's convenient for me. Not a gamer at all, but my 15-year-old might want to go online just to game because that's what he's really interested in. So it will depend on those goals that we want to achieve. And everything in psychology is a goal. All of our human existence and being is something about goals that we need to achieve. So that kind of sets the tone as to why people might start online Mm. in the first Mm. place. When I was researching the topic for this interview, I became acutely aware that my Twitter name is Sturdy Alex, and uh-huh. and that I chose it at a time when I wasn't feeling sturdy at all. Uh, I was feeling very, very fragile. So do you think there's an element of sort of wish fulfillment in the way we choose our online persona? Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of research that shows that people create versions of themselves online that it might not necessarily even be a wish fulfillment. It can be an unconscious process that could be a self-protective mechanism that Mm. if I put myself online, so if you put yourself online as Sturdy Alex, you can adopt that persona for that amount of time that you're online. Mm. Mm. And that makes you feel more confident about your offline persona and what might be happening there. It can be almost like an escapism and taking Mm. on an alter personality. Yeah. Um, And how about the reverse? reverse? So can you just quickly describe the Proteus effect? So... The Proteus effect happens when people create a completely different persona online and then in some guise or other, they transfer that behavior offline. It's all about being someone different in a different universe that could really be pure escapism. It can also, so that's kind of a more positive effect Mm -hmm. and 
people can use it in a really good way to explore their self-identity online and to explore who they maybe want to be and test the boundaries and the waters of the behaviors that they might want to associate with. And then they, if they find positive reinforcement for that online, they can transfer those behaviors to their offline circles. So there is something to the to the worry that is quite widespread at the moment that if the if the algorithms of various platforms reward bad behavior that that might encourage people to take that bad behavior offline with them as it were so that is a good can of worms you've just opened <laughs> um, yes There is a concern that if people become habituated to behaving in a certain way and getting away with it, or in a way that is less desirable, but feel that they're not experiencing repercussions for their verbal behavior, for example, taking that offline might be detrimental to their Mm. personal relationships and existence offline. However, One way to also look at that is if you have someone who pushes the boundaries offline and gets away with things more and more and more, their behavior might escalate as well. So is Mm. that really an artifact of being online or is it something that is in human behavior and it just finds that outlet where it's going to find that outlet? And yes, yes, I understand. I understand what you're saying. It's a, it's a chicken and egg. It was yeah. the pre-existing psychological dysfunction, I guess, there that made you be like that online when you felt safe. Yeah, um, yeah. Can uh, spending time in sort of virtual environments, and I include in that, I think. Uh, social media because they are a sort of virtual mm-hmm. environment, aren't they? Um, can can it genuinely change how our brain functions? Yes and no. So yes, it's habit. The more I do something, the more my brain becomes accustomed to that series of actions. Mm. So, for example, we all know the example of riding a bike. If I don't ride a bike for 10 years, my brain will remember how to ride that bike. Mm. And so if we do something over and over and over and over again, then that is what our brain recognizes as that behavioral pattern. Mm. And that is then what it gets used to. So it no longer distinguishes the environment we're in. It will go for that behavioral pattern. So yes, we can, but is that really then a hardwired change or a softwired change? Mm, I think mm. we, could, we could spend hours unpacking that. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I, I think I'm not alone in the experience of uh, you know occasionally trying to scroll up a page in a physical book. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, there's there's an assumption I think that we'll all get sucked into the virtual world as life in the real world becomes increasingly depressing and unfeasible. Is is that a given, do you think, that we'll escape more into cyberspace because the the real world around us has become harder to take? Well... Okay, so firstly, so in cyber psychology, we don't talk about a real world and an online world. So this this could actually 
help clarify this, we talk about an online and offline world, because if we call the offline world the real world, we're already suggesting that online isn't real. Mm-hmm. And for some people, it is very real. For a lot of people, that online existence is their only existence already, for whatever reason. It might be that they are mobility limited, um, that they have other personal issues, but there are lots of people who already exist online because they don't have access for whatever reason, to an offline world. So we could say that some people are already existing in that world. However, what we saw through the COVID lockdown was that people need human beings around them. They need Mm. interaction. They need psychologically, for psychological well-being, people need to have a hug. They need that touch. So whether we will be able to replicate all of that in a digital environment that takes over is actually really debatable mm-hmm. because we would have to we would have to suppress all of those human urges that we have to be with other people offline yeah no i understand that so if if the metaverse if online let's let's use your terminology online and offline i like that it's a really clear way to differentiate if online is then an essential space for an increasing number of people. Can we see access to it come to be seen as a right in the same way that a state is supposed to provide roads and sidewalks for people to go from A to B? Can access to an online world also become seen as an important public space? I think it's already doing that. So Mm. especially here in the UK, you know, there are huge programs to erode digital poverty where some children don't have access to technology. So I think we're actually already moving towards a world where digital access in some guise is a right. Mm. Um, Whether that becomes, you know, a human right, I'm not sure. But I Mm. do think we are heading towards a connectivity that we will not be able to unplug and that will be a, if not a regulated right, an unspoken right. What about identity politics, the big sort of battleground of our time? Social media has played its part. But uh, how have virtual worlds changed the way identity is expressed in the in the modern world? Might the metaverse actually free us from um, notions of race or gender? Absolutely. Simply by virtue of being able to take on any identity you want in a virtual world. But I like to think that virtual worlds have actually also taught many people tolerance and acceptance of people for who they are. It works both ways, actually. So offline, sometimes people don't want to accept others because then they themselves are not accepted within their social circles. Mm-hmm. So online, people can actually practice acceptance of diversity in a way that maybe not so offline. So I can give you an example of a young 14, 15-year-old male in his social circle, might be all sporty friends, 
And online, he finds other people who share a passion, I don't know, about gaming that none of his offline friends share. Now, offline, he would maybe be bullied for liking something that his friends don't like, but he can mm. he can learn that tolerance online in a way that he cannot learn that tolerance offline. That's probably not the best example to use. No, no, it's I, a good example. I, I, I understood it perfectly. So, so what you're saying is that it gives us an opportunity to find tribes that yes. are not accessible to us offline. Absolutely, yes, exactly that. I'm I'm thinking of the, I guess now largely failed experiment of Google Glasses. But then again, mm. I, I'm sure this is something again we will return to technologically. What's the likelihood that there comes a confusion for some people between the online world and the offline world, especially when you begin to merge them in a in a way? of senses, you know, if you begin to wear glasses that show you uh, sort of information about a building you're looking at and things like that. I mean, are we far from someone, I don't know, attacking someone else because they were convinced it's a Pokemon or, you know, have we had any examples or any experience of people who confuse the online with the offline? I, I'm not aware of... Pokemon cases. I am aware of cases where murders have happened through intensified gaming. So there is a very famous or infamous, I should say, example of a young Japanese man who traveled to Portsmouth in the UK and murdered someone because he stole his virtual girlfriend. So there's examples in Japan as well of gaming related crimes that have been tried in court so actually no it's not as far-fetched but would it become the norm extremely unlikely yeah i i knew we're in the realm of science fiction slightly with this next question but do you eventually see a sort of hybrid of virtual and non-virtual of online and offline where people begin to alter the real physical uh, manifestation either by uh, surgery or by augmented reality means to match their online persona, as it were? I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't say for <laughs> sure. But I do think to some extent people are already experimenting with this type of behavior, augmentation. Mm. It seems as if it's scary sci-fi stuff, but actually, you know, if we get into the realms of artificial intelligence, etc., then there is there are things that are happening that maybe would suggest that may be the case in the future. But also, I want to flip that and say, are we not all already doing that? If you walk through a shopping mall, for example, or a bus station or train station, how many people have a phone attached to their hands and are not looking around them at all, mm. but are really transfixed on their mobile phone? If you go to a restaurant or sit on a train, you know, got no one, most people nowadays have a mobile phone in their hands and are paying no attention to the world around them. Yeah, is that is that do you think a safety thing? Because 
you know the 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 environment around us can feel especially in the urban settings it can feel quite alienating quite hostile quite you know there there are there are a lot of sharp elbows and sharp edges out there and i know from female friends that reading a book on the on the tube for instance is a way of not catching people's eyes of sort of erecting an invisible barrier to say i'm not available could there be some of that going on as well with people who are attached to their phone oh absolutely and guilty as charged do it all <laughs> <laughs> um it is it is a really good way of signifying i'm not for talking but also a lot of it is a fear of missing out and people even momentarily fearing that they're going to miss something important on social media or in their WhatsApp conversation, for example. So to some extent, we are all living already in this virtual world and the metaverse is just taking that that one step further. Mm. It might be something imp- important like a puddle by being too attached to their phone as well. Can I ask you something slightly cheeky? Yeah. Um, does your experience in this field affect your online behaviors? Are your avatars sort of, do you make a conscious effort to make them truer reflections of yourself? Or how does that interact? So I also teach cybercrime research, theory, etc. offline. And I always start by saying to students, the first two or three weeks, you'll go home and you'll change everything you do online. And by the <laughs> end of the module, you will think, why did I bother? I have to live. And we cannot fear every eventuality in life. We just have to go with it, be as self-protective as we can. Personally, me, I don't engage a lot online because I simply don't have the time to. Mm-hmm. But where I am present online, it is a very real representation of me. I have no alter persona online at all, which is actually mm. quite worrying given the field I'm in. Maybe I should. Maybe and I quite should. rare from what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can I can I ask you one one last question to to wrap this up? There are certain things that are accepted as promoting good mental health. They're seen as fundamental, sort of good sleep, some exercise, being outside, walking, things like that. Is there a risk by trying to create the metaverse? where you can do everything, that companies actually will will create an army of quite unhealthy people. Oh, absolutely. I, I, yeah, it is quite a worry, isn't it, when we look at it like that. But then again, as mentioned at the beginning, you know, other others have tried and it hasn't worked. And through COVID, you know, people have been looking to get back out there. They mm. don't want to be stuck at home. So there is a real risk, but I think as humans, we may not succumb to that risk. Thank you, Dr. Alison Altrill-Smith, uh, for, for this completely fascinating conversation. We could explore offshoots of that for hours and hours. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. 
Remember, there's a new Bunker Pod every day, the full panel on Tuesdays, your Start the Week Bulletin on Mondays, your Culture Supplement on Saturdays, and daily interviews every other day. So don't forget to subscribe, review, and rate us. You can also support us directly on the funding platform Patreon. Just search for Bunker Podcast Patreon. You get lots of benefits in return. The word avatar comes from the Sanskrit word mean avatara, literally the downcoming, meaning the incarnation of a divine being into a new physical form. Humanity has long wanted to escape into other bodies and other planes, from Aristotle's lucid dreaming to the astral projection by the Yakui of the Sonora, to quantum leap and Minecraft. We fantasize about operating in an environment in which we are uninhibited by physical limitations. Be careful what you wish for, the saying goes. This is Alex Andreu in the bunker saying over and out. The Bunker Daily was written and presented by Alex Andreu, and the producers were Alex Reese, Yelena Sofronievich, and Jacob Archbold, with assistant production by Alina Ganatra. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, and music and audio production was by me, Jay Bailey. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. And The Bunker is a Podmasters production. We'll see you in the metaverse.